Hey everyone, welcome back to Lash Boss Radio. I'm Shelby, your host, and today I'm joined by Courtney Bueller. She is the founder of Sugar Lash Pro and Plush and Oak. We're going to be talking about how to start your business off strong, creating a unique space for yourself in the industry, and so much more. So stay tuned. All right, Courtney, welcome back to Lash Boss Radio. Thank you so much. I don't know how long it's been, Shelby. A few years. A couple years, yeah. Um, so you've been on the show twice before. Um, what are some of the things that have changed in your life since you're last on? Well, I think last time we talked, it was about our Alta deal. Because when we announced that, everyone was either so happy or freaking <laughs> out about it. Um, and then COVID happened. And so a little update there to catch everyone up is uh, that really went on pause when COVID happened. Um, Everyone was just recalculating and it was super, yeah, that was a super, super hard time for everyone, especially like those, I shouldn't say especially, but for corporate businesses, that was its own challenges. Um, So Ulta actually in 150 doors uh, just launched Lash Lift last month. Um, we went to New York to train their trainers. So that was really positive. So you'll see that starting to roll out and they're hoping to do uh, lash extensions later on this year. So we're just getting them all um, prepped up. But I guess since we have spoke last, I started a new business. So that's new. Yeah, that um, there's they're so beautiful, the beds. So if you guys didn't know, Courtney is the founder of Plush and Oak Beds. Um, So starting a whole new business, it's completely different than what you were doing. Um, How was that for you? Like, is there anything that surprised you going into, you know, inventing and patenting and everything like that? Yeah, it was a, well, first of all, I guess something to be aware of is that it really, really just came out of nowhere. So when, um, when COVID happened, we we were hit super, super hard. Um, just we had so much overhead. We had 43 staff. Um, it went down to six staff. Um, I really thought Sugar Lash was going to fold um, in those times because we just had, we had a building, we had all these things and it was just, we were not getting any help. And um, my dog just laid down. Sorry, it's clacking. Um, anyways, so it was a really scary time. And so really, I was like, I'm going to lose everything here. Like we're not going to be able to recover. There was obviously personal services were shut down. And so I just knew that I did need a new revenue stream. And so, and I feel like lots of people feel like that, right. At some point where it's like, I just need another revenue stream and I need to diversify. And so I, back in the day, I don't know if you ever saw them, but in my salon back in the day, there was those flat beds that I made and everyone loved them. We sold the blueprints and people could have them made. Um, but I was getting my lashes done at the time um, and not at the time, not during COVID because we weren't allowed. But um, I, since I've had three babies, it was just so hard on my sciatic nerve pain. And so Jordan, my fiance and business. Congrats. Yeah. Um, we were like sitting in our backyard where we live on an acreage and we were in this anti-gravity chair. And it's just like that, you know, that nice shape. And I was like, this would be so good. Like if we could find you know, a, a lash bed or we could make a lash bed that was like this, this takes all the pressure off of the tailbone. And so he's like, well, what are you, what are you thinking? And I literally just drew out on a piece of paper, this idea of the bed. And he didn't really talk about it. We didn't really talk about it again. It was completely off the radar. And then one day he was just working on something in the garage and I went in there and he's like, how does this look? And he just had the bed made. And it wasn't perfect. I, I was like, it's too long. It's, you know, the curves are what the curves are wrong. Um, but we fixed it together and then got an upholster to um, upholster it and then made a couple other tweaks. And then I was like, I'm going to patent this. So we're going to do this. And so, yeah, it's been we're coming up on two years now. Um, we sold just over 2000 lash beds across North America. So it has been, yeah, it's been a wild ride. I love it. It was a completely different industry for me, like furniture manufacturing. Um, not my industry, but it's been fun and it's been a project that's been cool. So I'm actually not even an owner in that company, which is the, maybe the most fun part of it. Um, Jordan solely owns that company. Sugar Lash is mine. Flesh and Oak is his and he works full time in it. And I work about two hours a day on it. Wow. 
Um, uh, so many questions coming to mind. Um, one being, I guess, just like with lashes, right? Even when, uh, even the lash industry in terms of like an artist, re repeat business is like a big thing. And even um, Sugar Lash Pro, like you have artists repeating their orders and stuff. But with Plush and Oak, do you feel like you guys have to market it more than like because you can really only get that person once or or do you feel like word of mouth is helpful and all of that with that too? Word of mouth is super helpful. No, I think the beauty of Plush and Oak is that and you know what? We actually get more repeat business than you'd think that oh. we would. Because people say once they get a Plush and Oak bed, it helps like set their business apart in the market and it helps them so much that they inherently grow from it. And then they're ordering their second bed or their third bed. Like we actually have, um, of like the 2000, uh, there's lots of big orders that come in for plush and oak, like people ordering between like four and eight beds or multiple salons. Um, but with that said, yeah, I think that we have like over 150 to 200 customers that have placed additional orders for more beds. So that's, it's, it is good, but I actually feel marketing wise that there's almost no marketing spend mm -hmm. one wow. it's just it's a unique product right so I don't need to keep talking about it or whatever right. we show it they see it and that's it oh yeah there's nothing really that looks like it at all um actually there isn't there some fakes there's some fakes so how does that work so it's frustrating I I am um, so it's my first patent that I've ever done. And it was an interesting uh, thing to do. It's very expensive to patent a product, but I thought, you know, this is something I've never explored before. Um, so that's the funny thing. Jordan owns the company, but I own the patents. Mm, okay. <laughs> so I'm safeguarded. But um, so patenting, so we patented in 13 countries around the world. So like all the major markets that we eventually want to expand to um, it's about 10 to $15,000 per market to get a patent. Oh, a big big expense it was like a very um yeah strategic move to protect ourselves mm -hmm. and make sure that you know they aren't getting ripped off um just because you know with sugar lash pro and having people come in and kind of do the same thing that we do all the time it was really important to me to like carve out that space especially since it took so much effort from my brain to make this design um so yeah the dupes are unfortunate um you know you just hope that you can just say hey Hey, this is our patent and, you know, please stop selling them. But if not, then I guess it goes to legal, which I've never, ever had to have a legal lawsuit in my life. And I hope that I don't. And I hope that people can just, you know, if you want to get into the lash bed business, that's fine, but just design something that's really, really unique and, you know, your own thing. Right. There's for everyone. Just don't come too close into the lane because I, I paid a lot of money to protect that design. So it's a big purchase for an artist. Um, how can... I think a lot of people that purchase a bed at that price um, or near it, they're getting like a hydraulic bed or something like that. So um, for somebody that's worried about how it can fit their body, what do they do in that case? Like, because they, they can't just like reorder a new bed if it's too short or too tall for them. So what, what, how do they go around that? Yeah. So we actually have it right now. It's not on the website yet. We don't have showrooms because our margins, and I guess I want to make this clear too. So if someone's listening to this being like, I want to get into the furniture business, it is great. I, I have no qualms with it, but our margins are not, they're not huge because we do use all luxury materials and everything. And so with that said, if someone wants to purchase a bed, but they want to try it first, we actually are going to be launching a showroom locator, but that's just our salons that oh. have those. So for now that we don't have that on the website, people can email us and we'll actually send them to the closest salon in their area that they can go and lay in it. And so we actually do that to help our artists who have supported us by purchasing a bed. And so we say, you can go look at this bed, but you have to book a service. Yeah. Artist. And so we're just trying to put more and more business into your business mm -hmm. because you supported ours. So do try it if you can, for sure. If if I had to get showrooms and I had to, you know, get brick and mortar spaces and be paying leases and doing all those things, I would just have to make the beds five grand, mm -hmm. which I want to do. Yeah. So I want to keep them. They are an expensive purchase for sure, but for the quality and for what you're getting, um, yeah, worth it. And then for the height issue, um, it is a static bed. 
Um, but with that said, there is three different height options. So depending on your height, it's just a matter of what legs you choose. And then if for whatever reason you choose the wrong legs, ship them back to us. We'll ship you different sizes and pretty easy to handle. Got it. Just the, just the legs come can come on and off and you can do that. See, that's what I was actually wondering because as a salon owner, like if I want to get them and they fit the current girls that are working there, well, what happens if someone leaves and comes like that? I can just order extra legs or something then. Totally. The four inch legs are by far bestseller. The only time that you'd size up or size down is if you're under five, two, then you go with the, the lower legs or if you're over five eleven. So it. most people still fall into the four inch leg range. We just have those. And honestly, even four inches, Jordan six, one, and he is fine at that. Not that he's lashing, but. Do you have any lash artists that have like had, um, hip pain that got alleviated after switching to a bed where they can like sit correctly. Yeah. So we have had people that were literally about to give up their lashing career because they had so much, they were straddling, right. They're straddling yeah. their table. Um, and it is for sure awkward. And then having to go get adjustments and all those things. And so the beauty of this is, yeah, you have the, the leg room to make sure that you can swing however you want to and access your client's lashes. Um, but there's been people, yeah, that have said that they were going to hand in the towel and then they got this bed and it completely, yeah, mm -hmm. saved their careers. So um, there was one person, oh, I'm trying to think of her name, but she had um, scoliosis. And so she was like, this isn't the career for me. And then she got this bed and she was like, I can keep lashing. So yeah, I don't so, want to sell it as a miracle product. Right. It's, it's bed that is really functional, but yes, it does. It does help people. And I think it adds a lot of value for career longevity for sure. Right. Well, even when you have like a, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and for your older clients or people that, you know, are um, heavier or have a hard time, pregnant women that have a hard time getting their lashes done and laying flat, it's a, it's a really good option. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, like, even when you have a massage table, like, you should be still trying to put your legs underneath. Usually you just have to take off that piece that's in the way and, like, move it down. But, um, yeah, either way. I also want to ask one about the material, how you take care of it. Because one thing that I was thinking was, okay, well, what if someone's wearing spray tan or like, what if they're jeans? Like, what if I get a lighter color and the material starts getting blue or something on it? Does that happen? It's happened once in the history of our business that so we had, and I don't know what this thing was. It actually was like last month. It was wild. So there was this woman who had messaged us and she had a, a cloud bed, like the white one. And she had had it for a super long time, like never had any issues with it. One of her clients, I don't know if they just came from hot yoga or it was raining, but it must've been brand new black leggings that were like wet or sweaty or something. Like I was like mind blown, but you could see an actual imprint in the bed. Um, anyways, you, as soon as you catch that, you can use soap and water and just really delicately take it off. But with that said, we haven't had any other transfer issues. So like okay. the, call it vegan leather, it's vinyl. Um, this is like the highest commercial grade available. So it's used in restaurants, it's used in boats, it's used in whatever. So it has like the highest durability rating. And then also um, it's good for getting wet. It's good for any of that stuff. So no other issues besides that. But I don't want to say they're foolproof because if someone comes with fresh dye leggings and they're wet, then mm -hmm. it could transfer. But it could it will transfer to anything, right? It would transfer to your bed, sure. bed sheet, transfer to your massage table. So no different. They're definitely not any more um, vulnerable. Do, than do you see a lot more of people ordering the black ones than no? No. So, and I know that we're going to get you a black one for- yeah. <laughs> I love I love black though. I I we have a lot of black accents in our place. So yeah, I think because black is such a stock color in like massage tables and other things, I think people really um go away from that when they're ordering. I'm not against the black one, Shelby. Don't worry. I think that <laughs> Jordan loves the black ones. He loves the he loves the black and the tobacco. Those are like his two favorite. Um, for me, we see mostly the nude. Um, yeah, I love that one. And, and then the dune, which has got discontinued but the cashew just more of like a furniture vibe instead of kind of a you know a, a stock black or white or mm -hmm. so one more question about the beds um because actually this is something we're like really considering like buying for our whole 
salon. And um, one more question. I actually messaged you and asked you, and it was you who wrote me back. I wrote the Flesh and Oak page. But um, I want to ask so that everyone else can hear, um, what do you do when a client is, like, shorter and, like, when they're laying down, their head's not going where you need it? Yeah. So that doesn't happen very often. Like we, so when we were testing this, we tested it on people that were ranging from five foot even to six, three, um, and just had everyone lay on it. And we're like, are the curves right? Is it hitting your body? You know, are you far back enough right to the lash artist? Because me being a lash artist, I know I want them like in my boobs, basically. Like if, (laughs) if my boobs aren't grazing you, then you're not far back enough. And so usually it's actually fine without anything extra, but we are launching a bolster um, next month, which has taken, I don't know why it has taken so long. We've been looking at it for six months, but we have just not been able to nail the shape. And if we nailed the shape, then the foam was too squishy or Mm. it was too hard. Um, anyways, we finally have it nailed down. We're just waiting for the shipment um, to arrive. We're, we get everything locally from Plush and Oak. So nothing's coming from overseas. Um, we're using all foam that's manufactured within North America, same with all the lumber materials. So yeah, if you see knockoffs on Alibaba, then ain't us. Don't think that you're somehow bypassing and we're importing stuff from Asia. They're all made to order. Um, so the bolsters are, they're only three hours away, but we have to get them laser cut. It's a special, uh, okay. special. So that's going to be launching soon. And then we just launched the pillow. Yeah. Um, and that helps as well, like them to kind of just settle in and kind of help them feel like they should be back far enough. With that said, most people don't even use a pillow with it. I would never do a lash appointment without a pillow, honestly, but it teach their own. Yeah. Some people, think, I just think it's too much pressure on the back of the head. You never want them laying flat. Right. I use these um, toddler pillows. They have like memory foam and I get them like they're kind of, they're just different than most of the pillows that I've ever used, but they're kind of flat. And I saw the ones on Plush and Oak that you guys posted. They kind of look like that. Um, So now that you guys have one that matches the bed, I'm like, oh my gosh, even better because then it's going to be aesthetic. I was like, dang, I'm going to have to put these little pillows and towels on there. Well, that's, that's the thing is like, I'm so aesthetic. Well, you can see it yeah. through everything I build where I'm just like highly sensitive to the aesthetics of it. So I knew I wanted to have the matching. So we actually just took existing Sugar Lash pillows um, and we just bought a bunch of, Jordan bought a bunch of foam from Sugar Lash. And so we just shaved them down, which figured out the profile. So it has that nice sink in the middle for the head kind of cradle and then those higher work uh, stations. So we just altered those and then did a nice cover that matches the bed. Cool. And the bolsters will be the same, I'm assuming. So are they going to look like the bed? Like, how how do they look? Or when are you going to post about it? Whenever I get a delivery date for this phone, I'm... It's driving me insane. Trust me. Um, It's kind of like a teardrop shape. So what we did was it's going to hug the curve, but it kind of is like it goes up and then there's a fat side and then there's a skinny side. So depending on how much additional um, support your client needs or how short they are, you can use the fat side if they need to be up even more or if they don't need a lot of support, but you just want some extra. It basically elongates the curve. So it takes the existing curve and it just makes it wider so that they sit back a little bit that's um, really cool it's nice and adjustable so i mean they're not going to be like the most breakthrough thing ever they're just a nice yeah. bolster but it's nice that there's a tapered side and a, yep. a bigger i was wondering that that's awesome um so is there anything that has surprised you doing plush and oak um differently than it did for sugar lash um i don't think that anything has surprised me. I would say that I have been surprised with how well it's been received. Not that I don't think that they're gorgeous and whatever, but I I fully understand that they are pricier than the average, um, you know, massage table. Even if you have to deck out your massage table, it's still not going to be as much as a plush and oak bed, but I really, everything I do, I try and do to the highest, you know, utmost quality uh, that I can. And so I would say that I wasn't shocked that they've been received well, but I I guess I didn't know how many baller lash artists were out there is how I feel about it. Like it actually gave me so much um, 
encouragement, I guess, because coming out of COVID and I think kind of how the lash industry has shifted and everyone is launching lash brands and products or going direct to Asia with people that they don't even know that are just in their DMs. And I was just thinking, man, are lash artists really all struggling or, you know, what's going on? Because it feels like quality is less and less important Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to product. And so I was surprised and encouraged by how many people really did see the value in Flesh and Oak. And I think it's been, I guess, surprising at how, how it's just impacted people's businesses for the positive, which is always the intention with anything that you launch. Obviously you want it to have high impact, but these have been so astronomically well-received and people are just like, I could never go back. Like this is an amazing thing. And so I think it's, yeah, it's been not surprising, but like encouraging, I'd say. Yeah, there's so much to how something looks, especially for the clients that are coming in for these services. They also obviously are about aesthetics too. And so much of what I even talk about on the show is about um, enhancing the client experience, but more like the soft skills and what you're doing in the service and all of that. And what we're actually doing in our salon this year is we're really just focusing on the other stuff, like the aesthetics in our lobby, in our rooms. We're putting wallpaper in in a couple weeks that looks different in every room and just paying attention to the little details. And I'm curious, I actually want to report like the change that like our client retention on our first time client retention because that first impression, right? Um, I bet you there's a big difference for the people that are seeing oh my gosh, you have this decked out room with cool lighting, a cool bed. I've never seen this before. And um, so, yeah, I just think it's really, really cool. Um, uh, I am so with like with um, focusing on, actually, that's what I'm going to be talking a lot about in um, at Lash Boss Summit. So giving your business, the way that I, we'll, we'll give a little teaser, but the way that I always about, you know, launching a business or getting business, business growth is our businesses are like trees, right? But even if you're going to, your business is going to grow into like a 80 foot spruce tree, um, it's still going to start as this little tree, right? So depending on what you plant that tree in, what pot you put it in, how big the pot is, if you're buying a fertilizer or if you're just putting, you know, dirt, if you're paying for topsoil or you're not, then either that tree is going to grow a little bit and then kind of just stall out or it's going to die, or if you actually bolster it with the things that it needs, then it's going to grow and it's going to continue to grow, but it's never going to continue to grow if you stop putting effort into it. And I think what the biggest thing in the industry is right now is that we see people trying to keep cost down as much as possible. And it's like taking fertilizer away from your, from your tree. It just needs it. It needs the vitamins. It needs the nutrients. And you have to keep feeding it. No different than a child. You can feed your kid Cheetos all day and they will be alive, but they're going to be frail and they're not going to be strong and healthy and they're not going to continue to grow on the right um, rate. So I'm really, I'm really, really passionate about it. I think that lash artists right now, for the most part, um, have it wrong. Yeah. I, I honestly think there's a financial aspect to it, too, that, like, let's say they do start growing and then they just start extracting that um, money from the business to fuel more nights out or anything. It's like, hold on a second. Does your business, can your business t- take any um, advancements in any way first that would actually propel even more money to come out of it? So I think a lot of it too, I've even been guilty of that when I was a baby lash artist, like, oh, wow, this, I've never made this kind of money before. And I didn't know enough about financial anything to understand this amount needs to go back to the business. This amount is what you take because you also need some for taxes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that that is, that's one of the things too, as business owners grow larger, you're always going to, as you grow larger, incur more overhead costs, right? So as you expand, um, you're going to hire staff, you're going to hire your receptionist, you're going to hire a marketing company, you're going to invest in SEO services, and you actually need to do that, or you will just stall. Um, So there's definitely room to take 
a bunch of money out of your business at some point, but usually at year end, once you know your taxes are clear, once you know whatever, put yourself on a low salary and give your business whatever you feel like it would need and measure, right? Measure how the fertilizer is doing and what it's doing to your tree. Um, And you can always take that away if it's not needed. But I would say, you know, if you're after aggressive growth, um, lots of my success has been into pouring more and more energy and effort into building my business. I come secondary. It's just a what exactly what you're saying is exactly how I feel. It's you can have a money first, me first attitude in your business, or you can have a like my mentality with Sugar Lash Pro or Plush and Oak is always that I'm second to that business. So when I create a business, whatever business I'm going to do, whether it's Sugar Lash or um, Plush and Oak, it's always what does that business need? I treat it like its own person, like a child right? What does that business need to be healthy? And what does that business need to be strong? Um, And I give it whatever it needs all the time. And then whatever is left over, then yes, I enjoy that. And that is a thing. But I think that if you're thinking about it from a greedy perspective, or a get rich quick scheme, you're going to burn out pretty fast, and your business is going to stall, and then you're going to be left with um, having to start it all over again. Right. Um, Speaking of that, so you have done these really, really big things in the industry, one being Sugar Lash Pro being one of the first brands that are still around today, um, by the way, and then also Plush and Oak. So if somebody's listening to this and wants to do the next big thing, what advice do you have for them? So I think whenever someone Um, We talked about it a little bit before this podcast, and it's something that I feel really strongly about right now is going really wrong in the lash industry. And I fully, this is a disclaimer, um, I feel so beyond hypocritical saying this. And maybe maybe this will be a controversial thing that I get reposted, Shelby, so we'll see. Um, I feel horrible saying what I'm about to say, okay? But this is what I'm going to say. I took the path that every lash artist is taking now. And... So I realize, I fully realize that, yeah, this is me saying you don't necessarily need to do what I've done. Sitting here, having made millions of dollars off of Sugar Lash and, you know, had an amazing team and had all these amazing experiences. And I don't regret it for a second, but there is such a thing as business timing and timing in business. And so when I started Sugar Lash, the thing that people are missing, the number one thing people are missing is that when I started Sugar Lash, it disrupted the industry. Because when I came into the industry, there was only two big brands. You had to be trained with them to order their products. If you ordered any other products, your certification would get pulled. And so I came in with a completely new model of doing those. And I said, you don't have to be married to me. Use use Sugar Lash if you want to. Train with Sugar Lash if you want to. And I kind of had it open, open market, which was the first business to kind of disrupt that model. Um, and so, and then we launched online courses. We were the first to, to launch online courses uh, for certification. Um, there was some other things that we did that were the accelerator course, the first business course, but everything that contributed to Sugar Lash's success was being, was coming from a place that we were disrupting the industry and adding value to a hole in the market. And so what people are missing right now when they want to take that same path and they want to start as a lash artist and then they want to become an educator and then they want to start their own product line. I think that path is fine, but you need to, with everything you're doing, be carving out a unique space for yourself and not going in with the exact same model that already exists because that's going to be a recipe for failure, like actual business failure. Um, If you're bringing on something that's unique, like you're going to do trays totally different than anyone else does. You're going to do a a refill program where you can ship back your last trays and we'll do stuff. You're going to do an eco program. You're going to do something like I have a million ideas of how to set up a brand for success in the lash industry. But the point being, if you're just adding noise to the industry, you're not serving anyone except for trying to serve yourself. But if you can serve the industry first and you can say, what, where is there a hole? What would benefit Lash Artist besides just sticking a logo on something, right? Then money will come and success will come if you're doing it from the right place in your heart, right? But I am so tired of 
this marketing where people are like in front of their G wagons and in front of their like whatever. And it's like, I've done all those things. I like, I've had the G wagon. I drive a Range Rover. I do all those things, but I'm not going to market it because I don't think people should be getting into business for it. It makes it seem like kind of a get rich quick scheme. And I think that if we can check ourselves to say, who am I helping with this business? And what am I contributing to the progression of the industry that I'm in? Then money is a byproduct of that, but it should not be the driver. I see. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily think that was hypocritical. I think what you're saying is um, that have this dream and go for it, but you, but in order to for the longevity of our industry and the quality of our industry and also their company that they want to create, it's got to have some uniqueness to it and not um, try to replicate what has been done. Yeah. Like there is such a thing as first to market advantage. Right. And so when we launched online courses, for example, right. Um, it was quite controversial at the time and it was loved by some people and some people thought it was going to hurt the industry, but it was the point being that it was a USP, which is unique selling proposition, right? And the more unique selling propositions that you can have as a business, whether it's in a salon or whether it's in a product line, um, if you have a good USP, you're going to do extremely well because you're not competing with people in the same space, right? There's a reason why cola brands, there's Coke is number one, Pepsi's number two, and then who's number three? You don't even know, right? Just the no name. But no one's going to come in with to market and say, I'm going to do a cola besides just grocery store brands, right? Because the, the market share is already taken up, right? If you're coming in to be third in the market, fourth in the market, fifth, the, the lower down the rung you are, the more you're going to have to do marketing and have to spew into trying to gain market attention. If you can not do that cycle and you can find a space that isn't being marketed to yet, like a plush and oak bed, yep. like um, whatever idea, I'm sure there's a million ideas out there, but if you can find a space for yourself that you actually have no competitors in, which is what happened with plush and oak, right? I didn't, I don't have any competitors there and I have it patented. So because I have that, um, we have to do hardly any marketing and I have no competitors in that space, which is a good place to be. So I know that I can just focus on the the product development. We're still going to be launching new products. It's going to be, I yeah, I don't want to say too much, but there is going to be an expansion of of plush and oak. But if you can carve out one unique product for yourself, or if it's a salon setting, one thing that makes it so yours just stands out above the rest, like a different pricing structure or a membership or whatever it is, you're going to be so 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 much better off than trying to replicate and be second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth to do the same thing. Someone who did this really well also is Cosmic Glow Light. They yeah, 100%. Yeah, because before that there was Glamcore and Ring Light. And all three of them are different. Yes. Yeah, and they all they're all lights and that's a good example, right? I'm sure there is going to be competitors that will come up with plush and oak that will be different, right? Different enough that it's not a patent infringement, but that serve serve artists in a different way or have something that, you know, someone adds hydraulic, someone adds um whatever a different it needs to be a different shape. But nonetheless, there is room in the market for and and good strong competitors within a space and Cosmo Glow and Glamcore is such a good example of that, that they're both going to be successful. They're both serving different, um, different needs, right? You're all, you're going to pick a lane. Like that's, that's such a good Pepsi Coke analogy, actually Cosmo Glow and, um, Glamcore. And yeah, I can't wait to meet Mary. I've actually never met her, but yeah, I'm, she's yeah. great. She actually lives right near me. Um, surprisingly, we've never done an in-person, podcast yet but yeah she's great um and that's such a good example too where it's just like glamcore had right glamcore was strong right and this is this really goes back to when i started sugar lash there was two brands that were very very strong in the market no one was saying they weren't strong in the market but i was like if i'm going to get into the market what do i need to do differently in order to take some market share and propel my own success. And so I had to restructure the way that I was going to do business. Same with, with Cosmo Glow and Glamcore. They're both going to be fine. But when 
um, Mary decided to come into the industry, it's like, okay, what's missing from this design, right? And how is this not best serving me? And here's, you're listening to that little light bulb moment. That's like, this is how I would change this and then go and file your patents and do that. So with that said, can I announce something? Yeah. Um, so I don't have a website up and I actually just decided I was going to do this about a month ago. Um, but I am really, really feeling called to help people develop their products within the lash industry. Um, and so I am happy to announce exclusively on lash boss radio that I am going to be doing a consulting program. So I don't know exactly what it looks like yet. Um, I think that there's going to be different structures as far as it can just be an advisory fee that you're paying me and I can help you, you know, strategize and know who to talk to for patents and do all those things. Um, or my actual ultimate dream is to almost be a strategic, um, like a shareholder, like a partner with you on business, depending on if I love, if I love, love the idea, then I would consider a partnership where, you know, I'm co-owning businesses with people and helping them bring that to fruition. Or if you want to own the whole thing, that's fine. I can just strategize with you and help you set up, um, brand positioning. But my, um, my other thing I think that I would say that's important and why my brands have done so well is because when you're launching and this goes back to the vitamins thing for your tree or your child. Um, don't launch them weak. And lots of people do that where, and this is really what I'm going to get into in, in the, at the summit is if you launch your brand week and you say, okay, well, I'm just going to do a course and I'm just going to start doing some services. And like, I don't even have a website yet. And I don't have this yet. And I don't have whatever. So I'm only going to charge $75 for a full set, right? Which is what you have to do when you're launching week you're never going to be able to get, or it's going to take you a long time over time to climb to the pricing that you want to be. I'm really passionate about helping people set up their business strong first and their brand so that you can charge top dollar right off the hop. There's a big difference in coming to market week, positioned week and saying, I'm only going to charge $75 or taking like 12 weeks, let's say, to set it up properly, do a campaign, do a killer website, find your unique selling proposition, set your pricing, even before you started doing services, set your pricing, you can still charge $75 for a full set, but it's going to be a 50% discount off of your $150 pricing, opposed to coming in and saying $75 is the price. Because if you lock in those low prices right off the hop, you can only increase 10% per year. So it's going to take you, I've done the math on this, nine years to get to 150 or 200 dollars a full set. I did this. I did I did what you're saying. Like like launch it being like this thing, this whole big thing and um the larger prices and having like an intro price like reduction for X amount of time because I it, it's right because you can't come back from that. And even when you're discounting your friends and family and stuff, you really have to be careful because you might lock them into something. Yeah, I totally agree. You can't, once those prices are set, you, if you do any price increase over 10% year over year, you will lose upwards of 30% of your clientele. So you literally just lock yourself into making not good revenue right off the hop. And then you're forced into, okay, well, if I can't raise my profit and I can't, I can't charge more for my services. Now I have to start cutting quality on my lash products. And now I actually need to start ordering Amazon supplies. And it really actually becomes a perpetual need. If you set it up first, and so what I'm talking about at the summit is if you set it up well first, you take the time to build a brand, to do your website, to do your logo, to figure out your you know social media templates, all of those things. Um, and you set a price right off the get-go, all you need to do is just bolster that position with whatever you need. So finding a quality um, product partner, finding good education. And so you look at the business as its own entity and say, what does that business need quality-wise? Where does my artistry need to be? Where does my product quality need to be to give this business and this pricing structure the vitamins it needs? Mm -hmm. So we'll break and I'm going to show you some crazy trajectory things of weak market positioning and kind of half-heartedly launching when you're getting into the industry versus pausing, pouring into your business first, and then launching strong. And it is millions of dollars of difference. 
Crazy. I'm so excited for to hear this. And I'm excited for the summit too. Like this, I kind of applied this to the summit actually, because I was actually going to do it in person last year and decided I think it will be weaker if I do it now. So why don't I just wait till next year? And I really feel like out the gate, it's going to be a thing, you know? And um, so, yeah, I'm super pumped. The lineup's crazy. It's so good. I know. I'm so excited. I I haven't been to a Lash conference um, yeah, in a long time. I've been doing virtual ones, but this is going to be my first time like traveling for one. So I'm very excited about it to see everybody again. It's like a industry reunion. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have one more question. Um, this is more, I, I'm personally curious. I've been reading Atomic Habits. Um, I've been, I, I just really am into habits and routines lately and just bettering oneself. Um, so I have a question. So do you have any daily rituals or routines that help you in your professional life or that you could speak on? I, I, I wish I could say that I did. I'm like, I feel like this would be, I feel like this would be a good answer. And I want to say that I do. Um, but I always have been a very chaotic, um, person. And I, this is just me, like me as a thing. I actually, um, the reason why I'm an entrepreneur, I would say, is because I am so rebellious against routine. Like, okay, routine to me, like, absolutely kills my spirit. But if you're a routine person, Jordan is more of a routine person. Like, he very much likes to get up at the same time every day. He makes his coffee. He'll read news. For, and he like kind of goes through. And then he has a bedtime routine, too. I'm like... I think that half the joy for me personally as an entrepreneur is that I never have to do the same things twice. Mm. So for me, I'm like, I want every day to look different. I want it to be new challenges, new things. I have a checklist because I have crazy ADD. I do have a checklist I work through um, to make sure I'm not missing anything. But other than that, if I can be like today, I'm home. Um, and I love that because I am in the office most of the time, but I thought, yeah. hey, it's a podcast day. For me, I value and it scares me. That's the reason why I can never go to a nine to five because I, I hate it. I just hate it. I like having the chaos and I love having the, you never know what's coming at you. So I think it's the wrong, I think it's the wrong <laughs> answer to your question, but I think you just have to know what, you know, what works for you. Yeah. I would say if there's one thing that I've pivoted on in the last, um, I don't know. I think probably since COVID, honestly, was there was a lot of. Um, so I would say I don't have a routine, but one thing that's important to me that I've realized kind of coming out of COVID is that if I don't schedule in um, time with my friends and family, I won't do it. Like there'll always be something else that, you know, business wise could take my attention. And I never feel bad about pouring into my business. Um, but I've actually pivoted on that. And I have now like every evening I have an actual, I'm going out with a friend or friends on Thursday and Friday this week. And I, it's like, I don't know who it's going to be, but I know that I'm doing that this week. I know that I'm taking one of my kids out on a date one-on-one, -on -one, like every week. I know me and Jordan are going on a date night. And so I make sure that that's really carved out because it is very easy to let your business take over your evenings and your weekends. And even if you're just scrolling on Instagram and you're having a restful night, it's like something's going to, you know, trigger you and you're going to be like, oh, I should, you know, do this. And it, you'll always get pushed off. I think, I've been an entrepreneur now for, I'm 34, started when I was 19. So 15 years, this is my 15th year. And um, I think one of those realizations that if you don't schedule in that quality time, it will pass you by and you don't even realize it's happening. But, you know, I look at when my kids were little, I look at those little, those little things I missed all the time because I thought I'm building an empire. I don't need to be at your swimming lessons. I'm mm -hmm. building an empire. Like, what do you care if I go to your parent teacher interviews? But I think it was that realization. They never cared about it. It wasn't for them, but it was this realization when we were going through COVID with Sugar Lash and I was like, this thing's going down. It was like, what? It was that realization of like, I put off so many things and I miss so many things for this company that if something happens to this company, and we're doing well now. So I just want to make sure that everyone knows that. But um, if this company, you know, was to go away and COVID actually, you know, takes us out, it was like, 
it was like this mourning that I had for all of those moments that I knew that I would never get back because I was building this. And I think it was just one of those moments that's like, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. And so make sure that you're, you're carving out the space. I very much relate to that. Um, I actually closed one of my locations with the COVID, you know, insight that everyone got about what's important. And I did that and I'm so thankful I did. But yeah, um, my son's three and I'm having these already. It's actually in real time. I'm able to be like this. I, I feel like this is a memory right now. Like I can almost know that I'm going to look back at right now what his laugh is like and his, and it's, I literally have said it feels like I'm living in slow motion sometimes. And I feel like maybe that's what being present feels like, but I don't know. And I also feel like I was sort of like how you're describing the chaos, but I have actually realized lately that I'm doing better and I'm happier and more productive when I've been introducing these small things that, hey, this feels good. And so I'm on this kick right now of just, you know, discovering all of that and just trying to be my, the best person, business owner, et cetera. Well, I totally think, and I mean, I think we're saying the same thing to some degree where, yes, like being a business owner is going to feel a little bit chaotic, but I, I think it's the same thing that we're saying where it's like, you're constantly taking stock. Like, yeah, you're the way you're thinking about it is also the way that I'm thinking about it, where it's like, you have those moments where you're like, this feels good. Right. And it could be the simplest thing where you're just like, I'm, you know, we live on an acreage. So I'm I'm sitting up by the fire with my family. So now we have like Friday night fires. Like that's that's something that I'm like, this feels good. This feels like quality time. This feels like it's, you know, ticking that mark of how I want to be as a mom or a partner or um a business owner. And so I agree, like just taking stock of all those little moments and making sure that you're carving out space for what actually is important to you. And I don't think it's going to be the same. For everyone, right? Yeah. Lots of people are going to be like, oh, I need, you know, I need a art hobby or I need something else or I need to dance or I need to do whatever. But it's like, you can kind of tell if you have some wherewithal of what's setting your soul on fire or more importantly, if you miss it, what's breaking your heart. Yes. And I think this is this is actually related to what we were just talking about of like, I feel like I want to do this big thing in the industry and I'm chasing. I used to do that all the time. I actually thought one day that I would have a product line and I started looking for um, like the manufacturers and all of that and decided I actually don't want to do that. Um, I At one point I was like, this actually doesn't, I don't want to do this. It's, I think I should do this. And you felt it is so much. That's what I'll say about it. Like anyone listening, I think if you feel so passionate about it that you're like, I'm going to start a product line and it's going to be astronomically better than anything else in the industry, then for sure do it. But man, the work involved in one, like every liquid being, you have to list it with every, every government yep. body, do all your submissions. You have to make sure that, you know, expiry dates are good. Like it's, it's a beast of a business. And so if you're a thousand percent passionate about it, do it. If you're not a thousand percent passionate about it, find something that you are like, do a summit, do yeah. a pot. I love, I love all those things. And like, you've been so um consistent with your podcast, which I, yeah, I super appreciate. Everyone's been pressuring me to do a podcast. Do it. Well, I am going to do it, but here's the thing. It's not something that, um, I, I feel like I'm happy to be a guest on podcast too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like right. it's, it's one of those things that it's almost like I feel pressured. Right. Well, um, I've heard this thing is, is there's a very small proportion of people that are entrepreneurs, like very, very small, true entrepreneurs. And um, it's a very popular thing to be nowadays. And also, sorry, I know we're like trying to wrap this up, but I was just trying to connect that if you can't be talked out of it, if it's something that really sets you on fire and you're, you can't stop, it's probably that is what's meant for you. But if it, if you can tap into what is driving me right now, is it, I want to be, it, you can just actually tell like, this is the avenue I need to be on, not this path. Um, and that's, sorry, that's what I, I was realizing. I don't want the product line. I'm actually going to do something completely different. And then, yeah, the podcast came about, which was the first podcast or one of the first. I think Lashcast was also around that time, too. I just didn't know of them. But, yes, totally. I, I agree with so much of what you were saying there. And I feel like it ties so much into what 
you realize after a big thing like COVID or having children or going through these big life transitions, you actually start to realize what's important. And the personal and the professional is just kind of like blended in a way. Yeah. The entrepreneur, the true, true entrepreneur, I, I would agree with that, that it is very few people. And then there's a lot of other people that, um, they're fueled by what entrepreneurs have or what entrepreneurs, you know, are able to do. And so they, they want to feel more entrepreneurial. Like I can say for myself that there is flush and Oak was such a good idea. And it was something that I was passionate about. Cause I didn't like anime lashes then. And I was like, you couldn't stop me from doing this if yep. you tried. So me and Jordan did it. I have another idea, which I can't disclose because it's a massive project, but there's, I, I always feel like ideas are gifts. And I feel like I've been gifted this idea that's actually in a different industry than what I am in. Again, it'll still serve the lash industry, but it's in a different capacity. Um, and I have had that idea for six years, but it's too big of an idea that I can't, I can't bring it to fruition quite yet. But with that said, it's like, go after that, listen to the heart, like listen to your heart and your gut that if you said that I'm a lash artist and this would absolutely change my life, that's do it. Yeah. That's the one. And call me if you need help. DM <laughs> me on Instagram, not on Sugar Lash, on my personal court Bueller, and I will have a website up soon, but I'm really excited to start working with people that need that kind of you know, whatever it is, that strategy, like audit my brand, tell me where, you know, I'm, is my brand positioning weak? I, I can't seem to get ahead. I need to relaunch this whole thing. Like I really want to help people restart their business if it's not where they want it to be, or if they're getting into a product or they're getting into the lash industry, setting them up for success and that trajectory, right? Because if we launch weak, it's going to be a long time before we get that trending up. Whereas if you start strong, you can start up here and you can just keep it growing. So I think that's the thing. Listen to your gut, listen to your, um, yeah, it's, it's a purpose thing. What's your purpose? What are you contributing and what's your legacy that you're leaving behind and uh, follow that. And side note, it also could be connected to the industry or like your industry could be, a, sorry, being in the industry could be a means to something greater. Your purpose might actually be over here. Um, yeah. Loved this conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. We could have talked for another hour, but we'll do it again sometime. I'll <laughs> see you at the summit. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. And um, like she said, Court Bueller, if you want to connect with her and I'll put um, in the show notes her Instagram handles, her websites, et cetera, if you want to find her. Thank you, Courtney. 